Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Straight ahead this morning on The Insiders, housing, jobs, schools, high-speed broadband, shrinking towns, some major, major challenges for much of our state. Iowa's lieutenant governor is leading an effort to better the lives there. He will join us on where there has been some progress and where much work remains. Plus, the shout-outs we heard from one Iowa congresswoman in support of another as we start speculating about what will happen in 2020. And in the Insider's Quick Six, how plays from the old college football days help years later on the job. Good Palm Sunday morning to you. Iowa lawmakers are down to their final few weeks of this legislative session, meaning those priorities are running out of time. Lieutenant Governor Adam Gregg is, of course, watching those final discussions and joins us now. Thanks for being back. Thanks for having me, Dave. All right, so you're leading this Empower Rural Iowa initiative. Can we start with housing? Because that's what a lot of people have been talking to me about. Are you seeing any progress this legislative session? And I'm hearing this sort of twofold, which I'm sure you're familiar with here. We don't have enough houses in the rural areas, but what we do have, so many of them are so old, they just cost too much for a lot of folks to fix up. So what's happening this session to address that? Well, first of all, let me just say, Governor Reynolds and I are both products of rural Iowa. We come from small towns. She grew up in St. Charles in South Central Iowa. I grew up in a little town called Haywarden in the far northwest Which corner of the state. Which is about Nebraska, right? It, it's well, it's so about South northwest. Dakota. We're South right Dakota? on the South Dakota okay. border. Um, and so we're really focused on solving some of the practical problems that we hear about in rural Iowa, and, and housing is one of them. Uh, and so what, what the governor proposed this year uh, is expanding the workforce housing tax credit because we've seen that that tax credit has been very useful in encouraging uh, actually building homes. And that one is unique in that it has a set aside for rural Iowa specifically. So she's proposing doubling the rural set aside so we can get housing built where, where it's needed. And I, I want to emphasize that this is a problem that cuts across a couple different things. The biggest problem we face in, this, in, in our state is that we've got more jobs than we have people to fill them. But a closely related aspect of that is housing because a lot of those jobs are available in our rural communities, but yet there isn't a nice place for folks to live in some of those communities. So we're trying to, frankly, encourage that type of development all throughout rural Iowa. And are you sensing the legislature will agree to expanding the credit here? Well, just let's just look at the pro progress that's that's gone on in the Empower Rural Iowa Act. That's the bill that the governor proposed. And, and earlier this week, the House Ways and Means Committee passed that through committee. So that's now floor eligible. Because it's a taxing and spending measure, it's not subject to the funnel deadlines that your viewers might be familiar with. So we've got plenty of time to work on that. On the Senate side, they've had hearings at the subcommittee level, and uh, it's in it's in ways and means as well. So we're going to continue to work with legislators on that. And I've been really encouraged by the level of the support that we've seen uh, in that conversation. When you go back home, as you mentioned, you're just about South Dakota. Uh, when you go back home, uh, your town's got about 2,500 people or so. And so, you're so typical in that you're smaller than what you were years ago, right? I think I looked back 1940, there were about 2,700 people mm -hmm. there. So it's one of those shrinking towns. What are you seeing back home? Housing a problem there? 
Housing is a challenge. They're actually going through a process in Haywarden right now where they're looking at hiring an economic development director. Mm. Um, and uh, But a lot of the same things that other schools are doing, partnering with local businesses to create partnerships to train the kids in the jobs that are available and helping make those connections so that not only do they have the skills and not only do the jobs and have the workforce, but that potentially means that maybe that student is going to stay in that town. In that town. Uh, maybe they're going to raise a family and have kids that are going to be going to the school district. So making those types of partnerships and focusing on these issues can actually create a, a virtuous cycle of folks getting the training that they need and deciding to stay in rural Iowa and keeping our wealth in rural Iowa in just that virtuous cycle of prosperity. Uh, I always joke that anybody who works in statewide government or politics probably knows this better than anyone, but when you travel our state and you rely on a smartphone, you will see the challenges with high-speed broadband, right? Yes, sir. Uh, in some places, it's great. It's not like you know we're reading headlines about Verizon putting in 5G, like in Twin Cities and Chicago, but you know we're not we're not quite in that ballpark. And especially after you get out of the Des Moines metro, uh, the service is spotty, or maybe it's all right for a phone call, but if you're sitting there on your iPad, you're not going to download a movie off Netflix or stream one quickly enough. I remember Terry Branstad talking about this, and we've kind of talked about it for years, but how does this get solved, and do you see any progress this session to get faster speeds in more area? Yeah, well, first of all, this is one of the reasons why we've focused on connectivity, uh, because I think it's an expectation for young people. Folks that are my age and younger aren't gonna be interested in living in a community that doesn't Pretty have sure connectivity. Pretty sure you just called me old there, and I'm gonna just bypass You that. can take that however you wanna take it, <laughs> but, you know, I think I do think it's an expectation and it's about more than just being able to stream Netflix or for your kids to be able to play video games. This is about making sure that we're prepared for economic development in, the, in these rural areas. So how do we solve it? Well, past couple years in 2014, there were, 2014 and 2015, there was legislation that created a broadband grant program, but it hasn't been funded. Uh, that's until that connect last, every acre, right? That's connect every acre. And last session it was funded at about $1.3 million, if I'm remembering correctly. What the governor has proposed going forward is $10 million a year each for the next two years. And the way that's structured is that will leverage basically a multiplier effect in terms of the amount of uh, private dollars that are invested. So with a $10 million investment per year for the next two years, we're talking about over $120 million of private investment that'd be leveraged from that. Okay, so break, so, break, excuse me, break that down then for people. So for those folks who are waiting on this, whether they want to start a business, uh, whether they're just looking for quality of life stuff, you know, streaming, gaming, whatever it is. How does that that chunk, let's, and do you know if the legislature is going to fund it before well, they walk out of there? We're continuing to have those budget okay. conversations, and so the first thing I'd say is call your legislator and let them know that you think we ought to fund that uh, broadband grant significantly. But okay, we target but if the money's there, how does if, it if come down? If the money's there, it, the funding is targeted to underserved areas, and that, and that it, they're working on the definition of that, but as it stands now, they're pointing to the federal definition, which is 25 megabits download, 3 megabits upload. But, you know, in the recommendations that we made... And that the, is low. I we're starting to get into the weeds here, but that's that is that's pretty low speeds. You're yes. not going to get fast streaming. So our, well, so our focus is in the recommendations that the uh, Empower Rural Iowa Task Force has made is let's encourage. While that might be the minimum level in terms of defining what is un, unserved, 
we want to encourage the investment in much higher speeds than that. You in want that. like a hundred, right? In fact, a hundred right? uh, should be the target. And you know, hopefully, a couple years down the line, we'll reassess that because technology has changed and advanced. Uh, uh, but we want. But here's the bottom line: we want to make sure that Iowans, that the expectation of Iowans, and particularly young Iowans and rural Iowans, is met. That we have connectivity in every part of our state. Uh, you mentioned schools in one of your responses earlier. Is it? Realistic, do you think, are we just going to have to accept that we're going to keep merging school districts all over? Well, I, I think that that's a decision that school districts are going to have to make as they face that. But, you know, as the governor and I travel all over the state, we see communities that some communities that are really thriving and that are growing and that uh, have an enrollment going up. And so I, I don't think that we should be willing to just sit back and say, well, Enrollment's always going to decline. Population's always going to decline. There's going to be less opportunity. I, I reject that outright. I, I believe that there can be opportunity, and that's why we're focusing on these things. Uh, and, but there are some practical issues that we need to deal with. We've touched on them in this conversation. Housing. We've talked about broadband. And I think another key aspect of that is leadership. Le making sure that there's a next generation of leadership in these communities who believes that the future is bright, who can lay out a vision for what the community needs to be attractive to young families going forward. Uh, I think that's one of those things that's intangible and you can't really legislate it, but it's probably one of the most important aspects uh, of prosperity in rural Iowa going uh, forward. Since you do travel around quite a bit along with the governor here, what have you seen, give us an example of something in a community that you're seeing that's working, especially one of these smaller communities where something's working, where you see some potential going forward. Well, a couple examples. I mean, governor in her condition of the state address highlighted Jefferson, Iowa, uh, where they've got a partnership there with uh, Pillar Technologies where uh, they're going to be training young Iowans in, in computer science and connecting them with jobs, working for companies all over the country, but based in Jefferson, Iowa. Uh, another, so that takes connectivity, that takes people to be there, that takes housing for, for those individuals so that they can stay. Uh, another example would be in Maquoketa, they've done some upper story housing in their downtown, uh, which it has been very attractive to, to young people. Sometimes you think of that as only something that could work in downtown Des Moines or Cedar Rapids, but it can actually work in rural Iowa uh, as well. Um, other communities have done that, and I, I'm thinking of a community in Monona County where they have 100 upper story housing units in their downtown, and they're all full, and there's a waiting list to get into them. Uh, that's, that's pretty remarkable, and I think it tells you that some of the, these strategies that we've seen work in the urban areas can also work in the rural areas, too, and that there's demand for it. All right, if you can hang tight here, we'll have you back at the end of the show here for the Quick Six. Sounds great. All right, when we come back here, we'll talk about somebody you know well, the governor. We talked to her about the disappointment this, legislat this legislative session when it comes to amending the Constitution in two different ways. We'll hear what she said about that next. These 7,000 flags on the State House lawn represented the Iowans who became victims of violent crime every year. They also reflect a failed effort to change the Constitution. Governor Kim Reynolds supported that effort, known as Marcy's Law. It would amend the Constitution with some additional rights for survivors of violent crime. She also backed the push for a constitutional amendment to establish a process it would automatically restore voting rights for felons. But lawmakers failed to pass both of these, these legislative session, although the House did overwhelmingly support that felon voting proposal, just not in the Senate. I asked the governor about these disappointments. 
Well, of course I was disappointed because I believe in it. I believe it's the right thing to do. And, and, and really, Dave, the timeline hasn't changed at all. So I was hoping that we could get this one done. But I've said all along, even when it passed the House with great, great numbers, they said, you know, we'd have to look at some exceptions and we can do that through legislation. So that's always been a part of the conversation. We need to, to what extent that is, that's part of the dialogue that we need to have going forward. So my pitch to the Senate was keep this alive. We're working on that. We can still take a look at what that looks like we have you know it's a three-year process it has to pass two general assemblies but you know I was hoping that they could keep it alive so we can keep the conversation going it didn't so we're going to keep the conversation going we're going to work in the interim hopefully we can come back next year and it can start in the Senate since it's already passed the house and then we have the next after an election the next general uh, assembly that it will be brought before it and then go to the vote of the people but that's the, I just want to remind everybody too that this is we're asking for Iowans to weigh in on this. It's a you know amendment to the Constitution that will go to the people of Iowa and give them the opportunity to ultimately weigh in on this. And I believe that Iowans believe in redemption. I believe that they you know support what we're trying to do. And so um, it remains a priority, and I'm going to continue to work on it until I get it done. Two Marshalltown women also vowed to try again next year. Now, set aside here whether you support or oppose Marcy's law doing so, you will likely will not hear more disturbing stories this year at the State House than what these two women endured. As teens, a man raped them and held them hostage for hours before they were finally freed. They were devastated then, years later, that the court did not notify them when last year their attacker was getting out of prison early after about 40 years. How my life changed dramatically in March of 79, a long time ago. Nothing you ever forget, but how a trauma, an unthinkable trauma happened that brought the two of us together for actually the rest of our lives. The perpetrators had the rights. We had no rights, which to be honest about it, when you're a survivor, that's very, very frustrating to hear that. This was a secret that I was going to take to my grave. I never wanted to tell my daughter. 40 years of suffering for those two women. When we come back, Democratic presidential candidate Tim Ryan on how the country should better support workers who do not want to get a four-year college degree first. Democratic presidential candidate, Ohio's Congressman Tim Ryan, understands the criticism that his party faced last election cycle, that they did not support workers enough who did not want to get a four-year college degree. I talked with him after he toured the internship program at the Plumbers and Steamfitters Local 33 Training Center in Des Moines. If we're going to win the future, we've got to have the most skilled workforce in the world. If we're going to compete against China, if we're going to move to you know, the, the kind of high-tech workforce that we need, it starts with having the most skilled building and construction trade people on the planet. And that's what's happening here. What's stopping us? Why, why are these guys having to work so hard to get men and women going to this? Well, we got rid of vocational training to begin with. And I've got a bill that's called Shop Class 2.0, which basically is saying we got to get back to the vocational training. Most kids don't go to college. We got to get them into these apprenticeships, get them into the one, two year degree, the certification. That's the future of the workforce. Yeah, we need STEM graduates and engineers for sure, but we also need the workforce that's gonna be able to implement this stuff, and that's what's happening here. And they, and they make a great wage. This is, this is like the best middle class job you can possibly get. 
Uh, you got any family members in any of these trades? Yeah, my my uh, grandfather's entire family. They were they were plumbers. They were pipe fitters. They were electricians. Uh, so they were very active in the construction trades. And you couldn't handle it, so you had to get an office. Right, I had to go. I had to go like find an easier <laughs> job to do. <laughs> Um, what do you think, do you think, uh, you know, as you well know, after the last cycle, that was kind of one of the criticisms, right, just at, of the field in general, is that there was too much focus on pushing kids to go four-year or whatever it is instead of enough attention on vocational training, Yeah. Uh, which in a lot of cases put men and women a lot better off. Yeah, I mean... How does that conversation change? Well, I think it's been one of the great American lies is to say everybody has to go to college. The reality of it is uh, most people don't have to go to college, but everyone has to have an apprenticeship or a certification or a two-year degree. And because we shifted the focus away from that, now we have many jobs that go unfilled in the construction trades, welders and all that, that pay really good money and you don't have to end up fifty dollars or $100,000 in debt uh, from college. I mean, we have to do both. We're America. We have to have, we've got to lead the world in, in science, technology, engineering, and math because we've got to design and build the next economy. But we also got to be the best with the most skilled workforce to actually build the things that the people in the STEM degrees come up with and then be partners in the process and cutting the workers in on the deal so that they're making a, a really good living and we can help rebuild the middle class that way. Straight ahead on the insiders, the repeated support one of Iowa's history-making congresswomen offered for the other. We'll hear that next. A colleague of mine here at Channel 13 recently talked to First District Congresswoman Abby Finkenauer. Much of that conversation involved the state's recovery efforts from the widespread flooding. Finkenauer at one point praised the Trump administration, but she also brought up the name of an Iowa colleague several times on her own and each time praised her too. I was happy to see that uh, the president decided to declare um, a presidential disaster earlier than usual. It was an expedited process, so that meant, you know, the uh, FEMA aid is getting there four weeks earlier. And I know a lot of that was really spearheaded by Congresswoman Cindy Axney. I mean, she has been just working her tail off here in Washington. Um, again, this is something that I have personally seen uh, Congresswoman Axney be talking to everyone that she can. We've been supporting her in those efforts, um, uplifting that as well. And part of what's already going to start happening uh, is that FEMA funding. That's already going to be starting in the next, you know, again, it's starting four weeks earlier than, um, than you know, typical because of the expedited process here that I saw Congresswoman Axney, you know, push and get done. I'll be doing everything I can here in Washington, again, along with Congresswoman Axney, Congressman Loebsack, continuing to work with our senators, Grassley and Ernst as well, to make sure that we are doing everything we can to help support folks all across the state. Those two history-making women entered Congress together in January, and now, of course, we are still waiting to see whether Axney wants to stay in Congress or instead run for the U.S. Senate in 2020. Coming up, capping property tax increases, raising the age to vape, and going a little old school from the football days. Lieutenant Governor Adam Gregg returns for the Insider's Quick Six. Time for the Insider's Quick Six. Back with Lieutenant Governor Adam Gregg. Lieutenant Governor, question one. Before this legislative session is finished, do you think they will agree to cap property tax increases? I, th I think there will be consensus built on property tax reform. 
Uh, question two, another thing that's kind of come up sort of late here, but that's raising the smoking age both for cigarettes and for vaping and that kind of thing from up to 21. You think that gets through? You know, I've, I've only just heard of this. Uh, I think we're open to the conversation on that. Okay. Uh, question three, we always talk about timing, especially this time of year. The scheduled adjournment is May 3rd. Do they make that or don't make that? I think they'll be done before that. Really? I do. Right, right around there, but I think slightly before. All right, Mr. Optimist. All right, question four. We're going old school, back from your football days at Central. Name something you learned playing ball back then that helps you on the job now. Well, I wasn't exactly the star at Central. I was, I was a backup. And I think being lieutenant governor is kind of like being the backup quarterback, right? So the two jobs are make sure the number one is ready to go and always be ready to step in if that becomes necessary. And so I guess I, I view that as helping me every single day and, and taking it seriously to, to be prepared and to be ready to go if your number gets called. Uh, question five, next Sunday is Easter. Uh, does your family have an Easter tradition? Yes, usually I forget to hide the eggs until the very last minute and we have to come up with some fake reason for, the, for me to run in and quick, you know, stuff the eggs and, and hide them somewhere. Uh, and then bring the kids in after that. That's, I just can't get around that. I, I always forget until the last minute. That's that, a lot of responsibility, of yeah. without a doubt. All right, finally, your prediction. Well, this is kind of similar to the last time I was here, and I know that the Chicago Cubs have started with a bit of a rough patch to start the season, but there's a lot of baseball left. So my prediction is that the Cubs are going to come all the way back. They're going to win the NL Central this year. I'm not ready to go so far to say that they're going to win the World Series. One sub-part to that, the Cardinals are going to finish no better than third in the NL Central. Thanks to Christian Yelich, probably, <laughs> and his brewers. All right, appreciate you. Thanks for being Thank here. You. Safe travels. Thanks for being with us. Happy Palm Sunday to you. Have a good week. We'll see you next week for the Insiders.